0: oftentimes for me, whether it's working you know, with clients in my respective businesses that I'm helping, the, the company I'm with now, it's what do you already know and what are you already doing? You're already doing problem solving that you didn't realize it. We're just connecting it to something different.
1: Welcome everybody to a quality podcast. John Thacker and Jake Harrell here with Nathan Corliss. Uh, Nathan Corliss. Nathan Corliss is just a lean simpleton who learned through violence. Is that right? That is right. Adopt, adopted um, your approach through violence. So, yeah. Why don't you tell us about yourself and about that? Because that's pretty interesting.
0: Thanks. Uh, so I, I call myself a lean simpleton only because, you know, I, I started my career as a machinist and quite frankly, a lot of what I learned in lean early on when I was probably hung over 19, 20 years old going, oh, I don't want to go walk so far to get my tools. Can I move my tools closer to my workstation? <laughs> Apparently that was called lean and efficiency. I was just I had just had a headache that day. Um, and a lot of the stuff I learned was through Google hey, how do I make this quicker or faster for me? What's going out there? Um, Really didn't get a lot of my formal lean training, Six Sigma training, until I joined Danaher Corporation as a Danaher business system leader, where I started getting more of that formal training. What I mean about my style from violence is, those who know me, I I own a little self-defense training business, uh, coaching and teaching. I've been training in martial arts for a long time. And for me, working with different uh, people is kind of really the adoption of not everything works for everyone the same way. You know, I'm a white straight 200 plus pound too many taco male. And the things that work for me when I train might not work for a 130 pound female. Um, and it's really the just kind of taking those philosophy I learned working with different groups and in, in my self defense training. It was every individual, you know, what might work for me is going to work something for different, you know, what works for Jake might not work all the time in every application. So you always have to flex and change to that respective audience. Uh, And when we had that conversation about meeting people where they are, it wasn't like they need to come to my level. It was, I just need to understand where they're from and their experiences and how can I relate the different tools to what they already know? You know, oftentimes I'll, A lot of my students or clients in the self-defense world are survivors of sexual assault, survivors of domestic violence. And oftentimes they'll come to me and say, well, I don't know anything about this. And I'll tell them, you've probably been doing self-defense your whole life. You know, a 13-year-old girl has learned how to de-escalate and get away to out of an uncomfortable situation has probably been doing self-defense longer. So oftentimes for me, whether it's working, you know, with clients in my respective businesses that I'm helping, the the company I'm with now, it's what do you already know and what are you already doing? You're already doing problem solving that you didn't realize that we're just connecting it to something different.
1: And you the have your own self defense company, right?
0: Right. Yeah, it's definitely not a, a money maker. Where you know I'm not going to quit my day job. It's myself and my partner. We launched it. You know, in 2020. We had both been teaching in some form or fashion and said, why don't we just do this ourselves so that we can help other people? Oftentimes our work is voluntary. If somebody says, you know, hey, I really, I can't pay for this. We'll just come train you anyway. You know, we just want to, to pass skills on that they can maybe use in other areas. Cause it's just, a, it's a passion for both myself and my partner, Jesse, um, to how do I take skills that I've learned and help people understand the principles of body movement, body structure of, you know, again, what works for me strength-wise, technique-wise might not work well for Jake, might not work well for John, but if you understand the principles of what it's trying to tell you, apply it and make it work for your own. Kind of a cool cool little fact. One of my instructors, I was fortunate, you know, in my training career for self-defense to meet a lot of people who worked in law enforcement um, some well-known people who have written books. Uh, I had a chance to, to train with Rory Miller who wrote uh, several different books in self-defense and violence and uh, conflict communications. Many people within that group also had to the opportunity to train with a gentleman named Richard Bastillo who was one of Bruce Lee's original students back in the 70s before Bruce went back to China. And Bruce's philosophy was very much of taking different things in different area and make it work for you, discard what didn't work for you, and then make it your own was kind of that philosophy. So that's kind of how I approach with, whether it's Lean, Six Sigma, it's it's different tools and different skills that, what problem are you trying to solve? And let's just pull out what works best for you.
2: John I've and I have several that. beers.
1: Uh, I was just saying, I've got Tao Jit Kundo up on my uh, bookshelf. Um, I think the opening matter, like the philosophy part, is the best part of the book, it's absolutely fascinating. Um, and I love the correlation there, right? So one of the reasons we wanted to have you on the show, really two parts of uh, kind of your presence, if we will. Um, one is you do approach things with a level of humility, like you want to learn. Um, I think it was Epictetus that said, uh, you know, you can't teach a man who thinks he already knows something, right? Um, so we really appreciate that inquisitive approach, right? And then uh, the other is, yeah, this correlation or similarity between self defense and self defense training, um, and continuous improvement or lean, right? Which is you have to understand the theory and what you're trying to do, and then you can tailor that to the specific situation, right? So you can't, uh, you know, be a, a twenty thousand square foot bolt making you know, machine shop and like copy Toyota, you know, but if you understand the principles that they're using, the physics and industrial engineering, well, you can find a way to apply it, right?
2: Now, John and I, over more than one too many beers, did have this discussion as to six foot X, you know, I don't know if John's 200 pounds anymore. You look like you're about a buck 90, man. But oh, thanks. <laughs> We had, this conversation, we had this conversation, like, how, if you're a 5'5", 120-pound female, how do you have the courage to walk outside? <laughs> it just, I have dominated the world my entire life, like, since I've entered it. I don't even know how I would do that. So a great kind of connection there as we're doing improvement events. We don't honestly know where that person is. So we have to gather those facts. We absolutely do. Tell us a little bit more about how you correlate the...
0: Karate life with the Lean Six Sigma life. Sure. Um, one of the things that was just popped in my head was about the use of the tools. And uh, I come from a different, I've, I've met people who are very much tool purists. You must use the tool in this certain format. And I'm very much, I'll use this tool in a way I need to use it in order to achieve what I'm trying to do. And it even works within the self-defense world. Many people think, you know, to defend yourself, if I'm gonna carry a weapon, it has to be a traditional firearm, knife, taser, those type of traditional known weapons. Um, And I've met people that aren't comfortable with carrying some of those. And I would say, do you have a flashlight? Do you have a purse strap? Do you have a book bag? Do you have a cat laying around you can pick up and throw at someone? Um, I use the, and I was actually, you know, one of my employees was coaching about, we're using the fishbone tool last week um, in a non-traditional way to more capture, where I'm doing like a a deployment plan for an operating system. And I said, we're not really solving a problem because we're deploying something new, but let's use this Fishbone tool to capture potential barriers. It was just, to me, it's a conversation tool. What could be an influence? What could be an impact? What might be a barrier for us to deploy this? And let's use, use this to drive the conversation. Same thing with self-defense, that screwdriver could be used as a screwdriver, you use it as a pry bar, it could be a prison shank. You know, affordances, how do you wanna use these tools to ultimately get what you're trying to achieve instead of having to do that, that perfect process of, well, it's exactly the only way you use this application. Affordances, use it in whatever makes sense for you to, again, understand those principles and drive that conversation of what you're trying to achieve or improve on.
1: Yeah. And I think that is relative to your team as well. That's why, you know, as a leader, like it's so important to know your team, you know, have a relationship with them, talk to them, all that stuff. um, Because it changes the way that I'll use a tool. So for example, uh, I was working at one large international manufacturer and they had a a fishbone diagram and I was working with uh, operations leaders and maybe like a handful of engineers you know they'd been uh bronze certified in their lean program for a couple of years and we were you know working on silver and so we kind of did this fishbone diagram right and it was fast and it was clean it was efficient we threw it in the file you know for that particular uh improvement um and went on you know went on away so fast forward And I'm working at a company that, you know, the operations folks are not, you know, bronze certified or whatever. They're not even lean like the the company's trying, but don't really know. It hasn't taken root, you know? So I started with what's all the problems. And I do this with, you know, most companies that like, if you don't, if you haven't been doing this a lot, right, this is how I always do the, the uh, fishbone. And We'll just write them out on stickies and i'll say you know what these kind of get lumped into categories right and i'll have like a grid on the whiteboard and i'll just stick them in the different grids right this is kind of man right this is all human related this is kind of method like how we did it right and then i'll say you know we'll you know over here where where it has like environment there's nothing in that box so let's think about it was there something that could have possibly been in the environment that affected the outcome right and then after that i'll bring up a a digital um, fishbone and like fill it out with them right because if you start with the finished tool you're coloring how they're thinking about the problem right and they're trying to jam stuff into these boxes um and you end up you know with a with a colored picture right which You know, if you've been doing it long enough, you can tell when that's happening and put the brakes on, like as a facilitator. Um, But that's an example of where, you know, same tool, same kind of problem, same kind of operation, two completely different uses based on the audience, right?
0: Yeah, I agree. I think for me, you sometimes have to strip away a lot of formality. If teams are struggling with a tool that they might have never seen, or they're starting to worry about... Oh well, is this an environment or is this a human one? And they start arguing about which bucket to put under. It it doesn't matter. Are you capturing it in some form or fashion? Right. Um, You know, and and I was a Danaher guy, and Danaher, you know, for their strategic deployment process, many people might see out there that that X Matrix tool from starting at six o'clock and going around the circle and working in healthcare and even in other manufacturing businesses. First time people saw this, they're going, "What the?" trying to turn the thing around and I joke and tell people the only one that loves that x matrix is my chiropractor to readjust my neck um <laughs> and so Pete and some people get really hung up on and just couldn't understand the concept of how the dots align and everything like that and I said oh I'm just gonna stop put this tool away here's what we're really trying to achieve of understanding where do we want to be in four to five years that's you know, what is the customer asking for, for us to be strategically um, for growth or whatever we're trying to improve strategically? What do the customers really need? What do our shareholders need? You know, both the owners, the, the customers, the patients. Um, what do our staff need? What's To those three kind of categories, what are all these three needing? Where do we want to be in five years? But we can't boil the ocean, so how do we break that down into something we can achieve and work towards this year? And then just understanding you you gotta have something to kind of help measure performance to just, what is success and a win for us? That's all this tool is trying to get us to do. You know, if you roll it out linearly or something like that, I'll make the archive document later and then come back in future sessions and say, see how it's kind of starting to relate and fit in here. But I've encountered people who are those tool purists and they'll stay on that tool and they'll just frustrate people.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's about serving the team. Um, I was working for a company that had a lean BOS. And, you know, in in my personal estimation, um, you can't be lean without a BOS. Like, that is the lean, right? Because you have to capture the value. Um, But there were folks that didn't get it, right? And these were mostly folks who were uh, responsible for the BOS right? Uh, unfortunately, uh, they thought the operation there was s- to serve the operating system. It's exactly the other way around, right? It's to serve the customers. It's to serve the people doing the work. Right. And as a leader, you have to have sort of the wisdom and, um, emotional intelligence and connection with people to make it work with them. Um, it's really similar to athletics. I like, I like to use those comparisons, you know, uh, Bill Belichick will write up a play for Tim for Tom Brady right that's Tom Brady right there's not a lot of Tom Brady's out there if you have a different quarterback or whatever you can't just come in and say okay you know we're gonna do it this way everybody relearn everything that you've learned in your football career right you have to break harder you're not fast enough you know that sort of thing no you use the the people where they're at and you make them better where they're at right? And so you design everything around the team that you have. And it's the same way for me in operations management. You have to know the team. You have to have a relationship with the team. And you have to serve them. And sometimes that means, you know, uh, changing things up. Uh, when it comes I to thought tours. we'd hit
2: twenty minutes into an episode before you brought up a damn sports analogy, but here we are. <laughs>
1: uh, I said athletics, okay? I didn't say sport. So I then feel like you I said
2: it. Tom Brady or whatever other baseball guy, and I'm just
1: immediately—he's <laughs> <laughs> a great tennis player. Let me tell you what um, you know. And to that, to that, while we're talking about that, you know, I'm actually a big fan of paper tools because of the psychosomatic engagement that it generates with the team. Um, the act of doing and engaging um, seems to help people to get what they're doing faster. Um, having said that, though, you know, there's a lot of tools like for strategy deployment. They're just all digital now. And it can arrange it however you want, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, quick Google search. You know, there's like five ads right at the top of the page. You know, strategy deployment engine, you know, all of these software programs are available. So I think we were talking about, um, uh, Jake, you were talking with Bob Emiliani the other week um, about, you know, digitization and how it's gonna affect kind of lean, right? And one of the things people seem to agree on is the kinds of things we're trying to do with lean are going to be mandatory because that's how the software works. Right? So I think we might see an interesting shift there, but we'll also see lack of flexibility. And that's what I don't like, you know, with the paper tools, I can make up whatever I want with a whiteboard. I can meet the people right where they're at. Once I'm filling and out, we can, we can change fields, it
2: tomorrow and we can and do I a can different tomorrow. tomorrow. Yeah.
1: Right. Once yeah. I have to fill out a data field, Especially, you know, once I paid for it, uh, you know, it's a lot more challenging. So I'd be interested to see kind of, kind of what happens there, right?
2: I would love if somebody's like attendance or their productivity's down, and they automatically get emailed in A three. They're forced to fill out field. Bucks and <laughs> <laughs> and we go all the, the way in on it. the punishment A three, punitive A three.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> oh, oh, for sure. Goodness.
1: Well, you know, like we're laughing, but Amazon is like literally doing that. Like you can be an Amazon driver and you're not, you know, hitting your performance target. And you just get a text on your phone that says, uh, you're fired. Go away. You know, like robots hiring and firing humans.
0: I think some technology has been helpful for me because as I get older and I'm forgetful, you know, a lot of those task reminder things and constantly getting the nasty grams that i am not oh, crap, I forgot to finish that. It's my own version of visual management, even though I'm still old school. I print out my calendar and put it above my monitor so I can look up and go, oh, it's time for this, you know, as my part of my leader standard work. You mentioned something earlier, John, that I think was important to go back to about really that relationship piece of things um, and making kind of the connection to, you know, some of my self-defense training. So I, I was fortunate to train with a group called Violence Dynamics. Um, Rory Miller is is part of that, some other fantastic uh, teachers, um, Tammy McCracken and Casey Casey Kekheisen, all in different, some was in psychology was Tammy, uh, Casey is a law enforcement officer and Rory was in um, law enforcement and corrections. And if you get a chance to read Rory's book, I, I highly recommend it myself or anyone you know, even for business and change management leaders is conflict communications. And really the biggest takeaway for me there was about understanding what drives conflict. And a big part of it is tribalism. You know, I come from a different camp and then trying to understand what someone else may be feeling or coming from. And that's helped me a lot in my own personal career when I went for manufacturing, to different manufacturing companies was, I'm coming in as an outsider I need to learn the business. I need to learn from you what your experiences are and understand where you're coming from and kind of show them that respect. So it doesn't feel like it's an us versus them type of thing. And I think earlier on when you mentioned too, just the differences of, oh, well, I I follow this prescriptive type of, I'm a lean person, I'm a Six Sigma person, I'm a theory of constraint person. You know, sometimes it's tribalism because they've invested in that respective camp And it's like, I think Jake, you hear about like everyone's individual bias to I'm biased towards that and anything else is against me. You know, to me, a lot of that is that tribalism of things. Um, And for me, when I transition from manufacturing into healthcare, where I'm at now, it's like I'm going in and supposed to be this expert with nurses. Um, And they're telling me, well, you know, well, I'm not a factory. We don't do widgets. We take care of patients. How can you help us? or you're you're bringing in this different model of problem solving and we don't understand this at all. Like it's completely different foreign language to us. What do you mean by Kaizen? What do you mean by Toyota? I had one nurse say, why are you talking about my car? Like, how's this helping me? And so when I approach like problem solving, I tell them, I just say, you, you know, or you know how to do this work. You know, you do it all day long with a patient. You know, visual management to us is kind of like your monitor is on a patient's room. You know, you're tracking their vitals. Those vitals are kind of your key performance indicators. You come up with treatment plans based on what, you know, the patient's symptoms are, and you come up with, you know, we'll call it a countermeasure. You just call it a treatment plan or an intervention. And then you're monitoring it to see if it's working for the patient. We're doing the exact same thing that you guys already know how to do, but we're just going to do it with a process. The skills that you guys already possess as nurses and clinical people, your, your intelligence, your training, your brilliance that you already have in this space, you can take those exact same skills and try to improve your workflow in your nursing units, or you know how, you, how do you have patients come in and their registration? Use the exact same skills that you already know and just apply it broadly beyond just patient care. You can expand outside of there is what I try to do and try to earn their respect that way and respect that they already have these skills I'm not really bringing anything new. I'm just bringing something different, just a different way to look at it or a different terminology. Or maybe you didn't have it necessarily as organized before and you did it, you know, in your head and you're working towards it. But here's some tools that may help you along that way is how I try to approach it that way is respecting the people than the skill that they already have. And for me, when we talked about, like, I love that um, Jake, with Philippe on that meeting where you are. To me, that's meeting people where they are. It's I need to kind of make sure that I'm integrating myself, becoming part of their culture, being respected as part of their tribe, or at least understanding I'm not part of their tribe, but how do I respect their tribe so that we can all help together? For me, I'm I'm there to help
2: them. They're my customers. Yeah, I am not that even... is not
1: Switzerland.
2: <laughs> I like that you guys both watch that. So thank you very much for that. But then it... I'm not convinced humans are able to like get out of tribalism. I'm not convinced it's a thing. Mm-hmm. However, with, with any like strategical synthetic thinking in abstracts, it's really easy to design a system that way, that is completely devoid of, tri- of tribalism. But we have this affinity bias. And John and I write a lot about this to go, we are more different than you think. We're more custom than you think. No, No, you're not. No to both of those questions. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's
1: really like the human interface for me, and and I'm going to tie this in Nathan. you were talking about, you know, our tribes and our biases and stuff like that, right? My tribe is business, right? Like, I'm an MBA, I understand how business works, which is why a lot of what's in the continuous and improvement world sounds like complete hogwash to me. Like, you're talking about this theory that's untethered from reality that the C-suite does not give a crap about they don't care. It's irrelevant, right? Um, If you want to do some good, you have to find a way to reach your audience and make meaningful business results because they're a business, right? They're in business. That's my tribe, right? Um, Our role as managers and leaders is the interface between the system or the tools and the people doing the work or the tribe. Right. That's the role that we serve, because the business operating system, if you're lucky enough to have one that someone's actually thought through and put some effort into, um, or the unofficial operating system, because all businesses have one. Right. Is without a tribe, so to speak, Right, it's completely neutral. It has to be contextualized to the individual audience. And that's a, a gap that I see over and over again, uh, particularly with uh, engineers. So apologies to everybody out there that's an engineer because you're awesome and you make the world work in a better place so thank you for all of your hard work um having said that like it's a specific mindset of seeing things in numbers and theories and stuff like that and you know i'm allowed to say this jake will tell you like he's coming to my office and there's like weird equations and shit on the board and i've got like you know a nearest neighbor algorithm combined with like a mixed model constrained optimization theory over here. Like, you know, some people see the world that way, where it's abstract, and it's all in the theory. And that's okay. And it's good. But most of the people doing the work don't work that way. They can't separate, like a theory from their emotions and their experience while they're executing it. And that's okay, too. That's how humans are. And as leaders, that's what we have to come to terms with. Like, that's our work. And to me, that's really the, the core of how ci leadership or just business leadership and like self-defense training are so similar is right there in that space
2: well let me attack that point john just so i can get your thoughts what do we have to change to pierce that c-suite to be about things they want effectively
1: that's a good question so my strategy right is i speak to what they want surprise it's just I know what they want, and I know how to speak the language because of my experience in education. That's the only difference, right? So, for example, when you talk about respect for uh, people, there's not a single person in the C-suite that's going to disagree with that. The leaders of the company are never going to say, you know, be hard and shit on people. You know, that's extremely rare. I mean, we have entire like diversity and inclusion uh, silos. Um, you know, we we have initiatives to make sure that we're uh, accurately representing the communities we serve. Um, What is that? The environmental governance compliance, whatever initiatives. Uh, We even have activist investors that like require these KPIs that include like, you know, your uh, carbon footprint and stuff like that, right? All of these companies are gonna agree with respect for people, but then they're gonna turn right back around and say, this is our mission these are the financial targets that we have to hit that's what it means to be a publicly traded business if we don't capital dries up we can't have you know a five percent reduction in share price because then the banks aren't going to loan us money Right? we have to get this as best as we know how you tell us how to get there i'll listen All right so jake long-winded answer to your question I think it's just a lack of knowledge and lack of having the right language. You have to address what they actually need as a business, not what you think they need to be a good business. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, I think to add to that to some of my respective conversation uh, when I'm working with the executives are, now I came from a quality background. So I was always advocating for the customer but also say, look, if we take care of the customer, what is the customer actually asking for? Then you build your business strategy around that. And if you take care of the customer and take care of the staff who are really the ones taking care of the customer, it'll, it'll help, it will it'll improve your business. Your business will be taken care of. And then it's building out those tactical plans on, well, what do you mean by taking care of the, the, the staff? It's not just the pizza party every so often. It's all these different things that, what do they really value? You know, what do the page, customers and patients really value? And then building around that. And, and you touched on something that's kind of a, I don't say it, it irritates me sometimes is I look on LinkedIn and I see tons of these posts that are really just downing leaders. And I kind of come from the camp. We often in media tend to focus on that select few that are bad. And I've worked for some terrible leaders. I mean, one particular leader led to an FBI rate uh, for committing fraud. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I know there's, what a, leadership there's a line is. there for bad leadership. <laughs> there's some bad leadership, but I've also worked with some great leaders that genuinely cared for people and genuinely wanted to improve. And they just didn't come from the lean training or the six sigma training. But they were like, "Well, I'm not. I don't quite understand this. But how is it? You know, help me get there." I feel like there's still more good leaders it's like the saying all this generation of kids is terrible they're not respectful no we just give attention to the select few but i run into hundreds of good kids you just don't talk about them because that's really the norm
1: right right yeah we have a um gosh what's that called jake but we're we're pre-programmed to see danger as humans right like that's the first thing negativity bias i think it's called or whatever you Mm -hmm. know if you see a headline in your news feed that says puppies are cute like you're probably not going to click on it. Of course, puppies are cute, right? But if you see, you know, cannibal rapist on the loose in 38 states, oh, I got to mm-hmm. click on that article. You know, right. there, there's danger out there. They're the on family. to me. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> Sorry, Jake. Jerry, Jake's <Jerry's laughs> up. <laughs> all right. I thought after all of the editing I had to do last week, Jake, that we agreed on no more cannibal rapist stuff.
0: But... You know, it's interesting you brought that up, though, but. I, I kind of feel like I see that sometimes in the lean consulting business world, um, but then also in the self-defense industry, that fear-based marketing. Mm-hmm. Like, if you don't take my training, if you don't take, you know, you don't bring me into your business is going to completely collapse and falter. Um, but I mean, there's some strong businesses that have been around for a long period of time you know, they they got to a certain point, maybe there's they could use some additional help along the way. And yes, there could be some businesses that need to do business turnarounds. I've been in a situation with that where it was like, we might close the doors in six months if we don't turn some things around. That's some pretty serious intervention. Uh, But in the self-defense world too, I mean, the likelihood of the type of violence that the three of us are going to encounter is, is different and lower than maybe someone in a different population. But even then it's still lower. Your risks change based on your industry, whether you're in law enforcement, we're seeing that, that rise of violence towards healthcare providers uh, in the last few years. So where you go, what you might do for a living just changes your levels of risk. Um, but And I've met people who were, they were like scared. Like, I don't wanna even go out anymore. And I would try to say, look, people that use that fear-based marketing to me is just, not reputable, it's, I kind of look at, you know, that self-defense world along the lines of, think of you're driving your car down the freeway, you know, in normal traffic, you might not be as aware, but when it's a lot heavier traffic, you're gonna probably ratchet up the awareness a bit. You could do everything right and shit still happens. You could get into an accident. Your self-defense training, your skills, your tools, are kind of that spare tire in the trunk You hope you never need it, but it's nice to have it if you do need it. Um, But I even see that like in in the, the consulting and lean community, it's like, oh, your business is gonna fail if you don't put this operating system in place, or you need to overhaul everything like that. And I'm more of a believer of, and maybe this is my own bias coming from that ISO certification world where the elements were kind of vague. You would try to find things that already fit those elements great, we're already doing some good stuff here and we're meeting those elements. How do I just build on or help close some other additional gaps along the way? Kind of recognizing the good work they're already doing and just build on it.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, we were talking about Marnie and uh, Marnie Schmidt. We're, we're gonna have her back on soon. You know, ISO is really like the collection of uh, minimum requirements to run a good business. That's really what ISO is, right? Um, so of course the compliance is a different story, right? I worked for companies where like you spent three months training employees for the audit. I'm like, ah, you know, uh, why don't you just train them? Then uh, we can audit any time, but, um, you know, that, uh, framework for excellence and the framework for a robust, scalable, sustainable business can be met many different ways. And, Mm -hmm. you know, crusaders just, they don't have a lot of relevance and they don't have a lot of success. You know, if a company is asking me to help them with lean implementation, I'm happy, you know, to do that. But if you're not a lean company, don't pretend. It's okay to be yourself, but you need to be a more excellent version of yourself. Right. So that's kind of where I'm at in that, you know, my headspace uh, in that regard. Um, And I think, you know, the self defense metaphor, you know, it would be kind of like, uh, you know, your tiger style isn't as good as my mantis style, you know, and it's like, it just goes back to like, you know, the two guys. Theory of constraints. Theory of
2: constraints. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You
1: know, and it's like, Oh, come on guys, you know, for starters, like the, the old, uh, um, Kung Fu movies, which by the way, totally addicted. I love those. So don't tell anybody that's one of my guilty pleasures, but you know, like you have like this school of Kung Fu and this school and, and they go fight each other, but the one that is more skilled wins, right? If, if this style could be theoretically much better, but this guy's a novice and this guy's a master. This guy's going to win, right? And it's, it really has a lot of similarities to business management, you know?
0: Oh, absolutely. You just you put me on a soapbox now, too. Um, because just as you hear between lean versus theory of constraints, you have, well, I'm a judo person. Well, I'm a jiu jitsu. I'm a Brazilian jiu jitsu person. I'm a taekwondo guy or a krav guy. And there, and it goes back to the well, if a krav business is running to, run a business, if they can't rest on their own respective laurels of quality of education, they're going to cut down the other arts because they've invested in Krav. And it's not Krav I'm picking on because a lot of those same arts do that. Brazilian Jiu Jitsu talks about how they're more legitimate than old school karate. Or Judo guys will say BJJ just means basically just Judo. You step back and look at it, like all a lot of it all originated from the same place. But it's that same battling between there. And I'm all like, well, hell, I've done some judo, but I can't do some of that stuff anymore. Hey, I want to take some of this striking stuff. But just as you said, too, it comes down to the practitioners. You know, Muay Thai is an awesome, you know, sport. It's an awesome art, kicking and boxing. I had dinner
2: there this week.
0: Yeah, And and I'll see arguments online about, oh, Muay Thai is better than boxing. I go... Well, I think it comes down to the practitioner, because I've done Muay Thai. I don't want to step in the ring with Mike Tyson in his prime, <laughs> who
2: would destroy me. Um,
1: I don't want to step in the ring with the guy down the gym
2: that's boxing every day. You know? Right. Yeah. I think Mike Tyson's cousin, right? I don't want to talk to am I'm, I'm good. I'm like, <laughs> I don't need to engage that guy.
1: Well, as a wrestler, I, seem- I will tell
2: you that
1: wrestlers will take them all down. We will dominate. So. Just had to put that out
0: there. I I will say I've done some wrestling. (laughs) My son wrestled all through high school and the workouts, the grueling that they put through. Plus they tested their, they pressure tested all the time. Like that's competition. Now competition has uh, limits and rules and things like that. And self-defense is not just the physical skills. It's the awareness, the trauma recovery, all those things. Um, But people that train all the time, you know, whether they're doing competition and test it, compared to someone who might just take a class once a week, you know, there's no comparison. And, you know, you see things like around the belt, the belt rankings of things. Well, I'm a second degree black belt in this art. I'm better than you. I have black belt, but I've met people who are less experienced than me who are much more gifted than I'll ever be and can do things that I can't do. It has, the belts are really just from years of experience. I sweat, bled, broke my body. You know that's to me what I've earned. You know from that belt, not because I'm better than anyone else. And I see that too. With, well, I'm a I'm a six sigma black belt. You're only a six sigma green belt. You can't take on this project. And I'm just roll my eyes. One, mm. what project does the business need to take on? I'm not going to tell somebody because you're less experienced. You can't take on this project. We got to get this work on. I'm let here to maybe you- help you because I got more experience. But I know people who are intelligent people, they've gone through the training, you know, they've maybe had a year in the industry and they got their black belt, doesn't necessarily mean they're better, they might be. but the person that might have been doing it for 25 years that doesn't have no formal black belt doesn't mean that they're not just
2: as sufficient in taking the role. This exact the whole point. Belt thing is this annoying. exact point. I'll tell you on LinkedIn, I am probably the youngest. Prominent CI guy I've ever met. Like, there's no one in my network that's more prominent in the space that's also younger than me, right? So, it is this like, there's this nice 50 year old salt and pepper haired John Thacker looking group. That go, <laughs> go well long have you been doing this? And I'm like, that's that's an irrelevant metric. <laughs> that is a completely irrelevant metric.
1: It is, it is completely irrelevant, right? You can do a shitty job for a long time, right? <laughs> yes, idiots um, get old too, right? right. <laughs> so, ah! <laughs> Correct. But uh, a couple of corollary thoughts, right? That kind of tie both those together. Um, The first is, you know, most people when they're saying that there's a couple of psychological dynamics going on there, right? One is they want their due, they want their respect, right? Mm -hmm. That's a normal part of humanity, and we should find ways to do that as we interact with people, right? Uh, So when I'm working with some of my younger factory workers, or or, uh, new to manufacturing, those two often go the same together, but you can be less young. And just this is your first like manufacturing job, Right? I'll frequently comment on, you know, how proud I am of them for picking up so quickly, you know, something like that. And when I'm dealing with a veteran, I'll say something like, I know why you did it that way. You've been doing it so long, you knew about this thing over here, didn't you? They'll be like, Yeah, man, you know, right. And what I'm doing there is I'm reaffirming their need for safety and belonging and inclusion. Right. I'm letting them know that the younger guy is insecure about their lack of experience and knowledge. So I allay that fear. Right. The older guy is insecure about, hey, these young guys are passing me up. They know all this this technology shit and I'm still doing it the old school way. Right. I'm going to get put out in the pasture. That's what they tend to be worried about. So I alleviate that, make them know that, you know, that knowledge they have is valuable. Right.
2: This guy at work, he, John, he he told me. I don't get why. He's an older guy who comes from a world I don't come from, but he walks right up to me unabated in a distribution center, and he goes, why do you need a computer to load a truck? And I thought to myself, well, you kind of do. That's how every system I've ever touched in my entire life works. Right. (laughs) Right. That is not a requirement in physically loading a truck.
1: (laughs) Like by the time you were in the workforce,
2: Uh there
1: wasn't any paper warehouses left. By the way, I had to convert one time I was working at a, a plant that uh, lost power to the server, right? And I, I, I'm I not going to say the company that hosted the server, that wouldn't be fair. But I'll just say like, this is the kind of company that you know, you expect to have their servers up and have redundancies and stuff like that, whatever happened, we were without servers and the entire network ran on SAP, nobody had computers, nobody could talk. And we reverted to Uh, paper transactions for that day and no joke, the GM like gets on his cell phone and three people from the plant and then like four people drove in all silver-haired men and women. (laughs) They came out there like digging through file boxes, I I found it. And they just rallied the troops and like, here's what you're going to do. And I'll be damned if that paper system wasn't exactly what we were doing on the computer. Except it was on paper, (laughs) yeah. Or, or bad had less than touches and (laughs) innovation. Well, it was a lot harder to fuck up, and like if you did, you could cross something out and write it in again, you know. But uh, it was the same controls. Of course, you know, paper has a lot of drawbacks. Like you can lose it, you can get it wet, you can shred it, you know, burn it, all of that stuff. Um, You know, but it worked. Uh, But to your point, Jake, like there's an entire like class of folks that. Work for me and with me that uh, they they don't know, like it's a foreign concept to them. You know.
2: So, so let's talk point, about. John. We have to talk about Nathan. What is going on with your background? I see like Whoa. thirty medals there. What what do we got? What do we have? I your just digits? assumed.
1: I assumed that you won like Kung Fu Panda. Like you just won it. I thought he
2: ended <laughs> World War Two when I looked back there. <laughs> but I thought, oh, um, he's a little
0: young. Those, those, those were back in the day when my body wasn't broken. I used to do a lot of running, uh, half marathons and, and I've never ran a marathon because I wasn't that crazy and races. And so the group that I used my actually started from one of my martial arts instructors was a big runner. And he's like, Hey, we're going to go run, do these races. Like to get me in shape. He's like, you're on the team now. I go, I didn't want to run. He goes, I didn't ask you. You're on the team now start training. Uh, but he's like, we always take races that have bling. You always got to get the medal if it doesn't have a medal, we're not going it. So, but all the different races I ran the half marathons thing like that. And then my body, I I joke around and say that, you know, what's that saying? You know, you should treat your body like a temple. Well, I treated mine like an amusement park and now the ride's breaking down, like (laughs) hip replacement two years ago, uh, herniated discs and back. So the whole, Oh man, my self-defense skills aren't going to really help me the physical skills. I better focus on like, Hey, Dude, I don't want to fight you in de-escalation type of things, um, but that's where a lot of that stuff is from.
1: So what I'm hearing is we shouldn't go running because we'll hurt ourselves. That's, that's what,
2: exactly I mean, that's, what that's I just, exactly what I think, exercise so. is
1: bad. So I've signed of our up listeners out there and YouTube yeah. land no exercise, whatever you do, twelve ounce curls I like only. Lifting.
0: Yeah, <laughs> you no know, nice big it. Big, they call judo the gentle art, judo my ass, getting picked up and slammed <laughs> on a mat with a nasty wind at you. Um, but I want to I go back to what you had mentioned too from the different experience levels because I've met people that were 30 years in the business and were like, no one below me can top my experience and they don't know anything. And then I've met people who are fresh out of college or just finished their black belt certification. Well, I got the formal black belt, you don't. I know what I'm doing, you don't. It's that balancing in between Of respecting experience and say, hey, here's some things you might want to consider. Here's what I've experienced in the past. First, new ideas and just new ways of potential thinking, or just people that are really eager and want to help. uh, Marry that in the middle somewhere. Uh, I see it on both sides, too. I didn't have my formal black belt certification in Six Sigma until last year because I just wanted it on my resume. But I've been doing the type of work for years, but I was often overlooked. Because I didn't have that certification, and people who were like fresh out of school, we're gonna give them that project because they're the black belt, and then they struggled. So it's it's that balancing in between for me.
1: Yeah, it's a great, great call out. Um, you know, I went to business school to learn.
2: Couldn't so tell that from could, that t shirt.
1: Boom, roasted. <laughs> so so that I could learn uh, because I wanted to make money, right? Um, But I'm in class and these are professionals, right? This is is an MBA program. Everybody's degreed and everybody had a job except one person who came right out of undergrad and got absolutely roasted on the first day by the professor who said, you need to go work and earn money, then come back and get your MBA. Um, And one of the persons I was going to school with said, well, you know, guys, I look at this as my green card, right? This is what it's gonna take for me to be legitimate. For people to pay attention to me, and that was the outlook. And you could always tell these students because when we were doing statistics class, they were downloading the app onto their phone because they only cared about the outcome, not the algorithm. Right now, the learners like myself, we did it all longhand on graph paper. We're talking about you know multi-dimensional arrays on five sheets of graph paper. But the reason I did it Can that they even way. They don't make would,
2: graph paper anymore.
1: Yes, they make graph. I don't know. It's actually a great question. I don't think I have bought any in years. Anyway, they had it in the school bookstore. So anyway, um, by the time I got out of that class, I knew how statistics worked numerically. And there's not an engineer on the planet that can bullshit me anymore. I know exactly what I'm looking at. And I know which thread to pull on to say this is fucking hogwash. You just want me to do your thing. I don't care if you don't have good data but don't fabricate shit and i've had that conversation a couple times i've had to have that right um so it's a real thing a real artifact of our culture that we get certifications and uh, education um so that we won't be overlooked so that we'll be considered for a position and it, it kind of works depending on where the stamp of approval comes from right if you know, somebody has an engineering degree from Virginia Tech, or Michigan State, or Purdue, you're like, I know you got a good education from that school, because they have a good reputation. Now, I don't know that you can be good at this job, or work with others. I just know you're good in the classroom, and you can do some math and stuff. right? Um, but there's definitely a limit to where certifications, etc, are actually helpful for the business, right, and making good business decisions. So I, I see that as an artifact of our culture that's probably on the negative side, um, you know, we're just in general, as a culture, we have to get a lot better at assessing folks and giving them a shot. And, you know, we, we basically, what we're doing, okay, big picture in business, we're minimizing risk by taking away subjective components to decision-making. But by mitigating risk, we're also giving away things like fairness, excellence, et cetera, et cetera. And so we'll literally have business rules that say things like you have to consider all internal applicants. You have to interview a certain number of people. You have to prefer somebody with a bachelor's degree over someone without. And that's just basically disadvantaging someone who may not have chosen to get a bachelor's, but might not have had the opportunity. Um, or it could be, you know, fucking Rain Man or somebody who is just phenomenal at something, but didn't have what it takes to sit down in a classroom. Not everybody learns that way, right? And get those damn letters after their name.
2: To hire them to sit and send emails and file paperwork sure. <laughs> the rest of their life. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah you'll, you'll always hear me say, I believe in balance. Uh, you know, a lot of my, you know, I, I started when I was 19 years old, went to a technical college here, you know, from the trade and started through that path. Uh, and I was never an engineer. I would just learn the GD&T, geometric tolerancing aspect, and then constantly irritate engineers when I say, hey, your drawing is allowing this on tolerance. You might want to read. Well, you're not an engineer. No, but I know the standard of the Y 14.5, and you might want to change how your symbols are. Um, and I didn't start going and get my undergraduate till I was older. And same with my MBA and some of the either the more formal certifications. But I'm not knocking education. Like if I, if I was gonna do it over, I would have got that a lot sooner. Because then a lot of stuff that I did back in the day when I was just Googling, "Hey, how do I 5s? What does this mean? How do I do that?" Man, if I had you know the experience in education then, all my work that I did back then, I. We we'll go. Oh, it's so much better. I look back on work I did, you know, 20 years ago and go, oh god, that's so ugly. Ugh. I do that so much better now.
2: For audio-only yeah, the... listeners, for audio-only listeners, John looks like he just got out of bed, and Jake is in a full sports jacket. This is the first time this has ever happened on the show where I'm the better dressed one of the group. I don't look like
1: I just got out of bed. First of all, yes, I put seven minutes into making my hair look like I just got out of bed. Okay, so I want respect for that. Second, this is an original 1981 ACDC for those about rock people, I automatically, I mean, this is fucking like, this is Mark Cuban shit right here. Like you don't see not cool people wearing this. So, hashtag trendsetter, I don't wanna hear it. That is a gorgeous suit though, and I'm a little jealous.
0: <laughs> I almost had my Metallica shirt on just like that, and then said I swapped it out. I want well, to we're gonna somewhat somewhat have to professional.
1: We're gonna have to do a sequel, man. Um, Jake, you can wear um, Twisted Sister, and we'll call it a trilogy, right there. So what? A, what?
2: What is Twisted, Twisted Sister? Sister?
1: Oh, <laughs> well, they were this group that like stopped performing about ten years before you were born. So <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's, that's all I can say. There. Motorhead? How about Motorhead? You know who Motorhead is nice. Is, be, it a, uh, is, it, is
2: it a motor theme because you're ACDC? Is that what we're sticking with? Yeah, it's the
1: unholy, unholy trinity. We'll, uh, we just need a rock and roll special. That's what we need. Um, but Nathan, well, I don't age really...
0: Age is no excuse. Age oh. is no excuse, Jake. I got a 20-year-old son who he grew up... I think he probably knew Master of Puppets before he knew nursery rhymes when he went to grade school. I don't know if this helped or... I don't know if that was a bad parenting moment or not, but he knew most Metallica. Now he's sitting there learning how to play these advanced chords and he knows Motorhead and, you know, all those old 70s and 80s metal bands, likes a lot of the new stuff too. You know, See, he's art, like, he yeah, likes a historian art. on that stuff. Yeah, yeah,
1: that is awesome. Well, uh, I read an article last week, um, old, not, thanks to streaming, um, old music is outselling new music. Because people are going for quality, right? This and is also, more old
2: people than new ones.
1: No, that has nothing to do with it.
2: <laughs> that is the um, truth. That is no, literally the truth. Every kid I've ever met with, has two parents. Because, <laughs>
1: it's, because it's not correlated with, not correlated with demographic. But here's the the really scary thing for the music industry and why they're having so much trouble getting financing for traditional music: um, the new music sales went down, sixteen percent year over year. People just don't like what's being produced. There's less talent you know, out there right now. Uh, so you have digitized 50 years of music, more than that really, where you can pick the best musicians ever and listen to them or you know, the new music, which there might be three good musicians right now. Jake so, disapproves of this entire message. Just
2: to like. Is that, that also? Sixteen percent of people, John. Sixteen percent more people figured out how to download it for free. <laughs> that, that's what it is.
0: And I, I'd be curious of like the evolution of like a Spotify, where you know I don't like every song on an album, so I'm just gonna pull out the songs I did mm-hmm. like and only yeah. play those.
1: Yeah. Yeah, try, on the LP, like trying to find where to put the stylist to hear the one song you, you like, you couldn't do it very well. So you just had to have a banger album. Like you had to have a good album because um, nobody was going to spend money on a record if you only liked the one or the two songs, you know? Because you, you know, now it's just like, I put my own album together. That's what a playlist is, right?
2: Now I have I mean... to drop music. Now I have to drop it on LinkedIn. God dang it. <laughs>
1: Uh, Nathan, we really appreciate you uh, coming on today and, you know, having this conversation, um, you know, kind of uh, far ranging. Um, But it was a fantastic conversation about, you know, the market that we're in, you know, the world we're in, our responsibilities as um, leaders, right. And I loved the comparison to uh, Self-defense, right, and martial arts training. I thought I thought it was really valuable, at least for me. You know, I'm I, that's stuff that I like. You know, um, and I'm a visual learner, so I can see like, you know, Johnny Karate in my head or whatever um, while we're having the conversation. So, uh, why don't you tell folks how they can get a hold of you?
0: Yeah, so you can follow me on all the different socials uh, on LinkedIn. Just look for my name. Um, I'm also my, my business, ages Self-Defense St. Louis. You can find us on LinkedIn, uh, Instagram, Facebook, along those ways, even our, our website. If you go to any of my accounts, you should be able to find my website. And again, even though there's prices listed, if people are just interested, you know, we don't do just the physical training, but also the academic skills training, you know, understanding violence dynamics, uh, pre-attack cues. And then really important for our group is the trauma recovery, as most of the people we work with usually are coming after an incident. So how do we help them from that emotional trauma recovery, other incident also, not just teaching them how to fight.
1: Right, right. Excellent. Yeah, we really appreciate um, the uh, civic aspect of what you do um, and supporting people who've, you know, some of them have been through some tough stuff Um, So we really respect that about you and uh, Sean and the business. Um, So thank you for coming on the show. I'll put all your links down below so people can click through and and check that out. Uh, We loved having you on for everybody out there in YouTube land. Goodbye, everybody.